I just realized I'm directly in front of this. Maybe I should move so you can like see. Does that help? A little bit, maybe not that side as much, but there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. P. Um, our Father. Um, so in Matthew 6 verse 9, it says, In this manner, therefore, pray. So this is when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. He said, oh, thanks, Ben. You guys can... <laughs> the, the, the nice like soft music is going to just lull me a little bit to sleep. I've been up late studying for a bit. So, you know, I've got to really focus. Um, <laughs> our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that's how Jesus told us to start off when we pray by saying our Father, our Father in heaven. So our Father, those two words are really, really important. It's important to understand as well is who is our Father. I think there's a common thing that I've actually heard a lot going around in recent times where people will say our Father, every, because everyone's Father is God and everyone's a child of God. But that's actually not true because our Father was, um, was God for everyone in the beginning but when sin entered the world, it separated us from God. And it says in Romans 8, verse 14 to 17, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be also... Um, we may also be glorified together. So it says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Those who receive Christ become, are able to receive that spirit of adoption to be able to be called children of God. So that's who can call God our Father is those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord because He has given us that opportunity to be welcomed back into the, into the family of God and by the Holy Spirit, it says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we also know that because we have the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us when we receive the Holy Spirit into our life. So that's a question for you today is not everyone is God's child. You must receive Jesus first. So the question is, have you? Have you received Jesus, that only way to get to God the Father? And I'll give an opportunity later if that's you, that you want to receive Jesus um, into your life and have God as your Father, that you can do that. The second part of that statement, our Father is our Father in heaven. And that's a really, really important thing to remember as well. It's our Father who is in heaven. Because God is not like your earthly father. Let's never get that confused. Let's never get that mixed up. Even if you have a good father or whether you have a bad father, an absent father or a present father, it doesn't matter because God is nothing like your earthly father. As much as your father tries, we have some fantastic fathers in this house. Um, but even then, as hard as they try, they will still never come close to our heavenly father. Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we have to understand that this is our heavenly father. We can't put him in this box of what an earthly father is like. And that's especially important if you haven't had a good relationship with your father, because then when you relate to God, you're not going to relate to him as actually who he is. You're going to relate to him as you relate to a broken relationship with your own father. 
What we have to realize is, is God, like our Father in heaven is God. He's the creator of the universe. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We cannot comprehend or understand when we come into the presence of a Father God, there has to be this reverence. There has to be this honor. I think of sometimes, especially when you're a teenager or a sassy kid, like, you know, you'd sass your parents sometimes or say some things or do naughty things, um, you know, when you don't respect and you don't honour them. And you can sometimes get a little bit away with it or you get a little bit of punishment, but that's with your, and, and that's still really bad to do to your earthly parents. And a lot of you would know because you got a, a red butt from that one. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's me. Um, <laughs> But we know that that's bad. But can you imagine if that's the way that we talk to our heavenly father who's absolutely perfect, who's done nothing wrong, who is high above everything, who is the creator of the universe. It says that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And we would dare, you know, relate to him the way that we relate to one another. You know, it's we've got to understand that because when we come to him, we've got to relate to him as actually who he is, as God of heaven, God of the universe, creator of all, our father in heaven, hold him in high esteem, hold him in high reverence, hold him in honour and in awe. So we need to be careful because I see too many Christians who have had bad experiences with their fathers on earth who even lets, even just even small letdowns with a good father and we let that cause us to doubt or to challenge God, to question the nature of God and who He is. They lack trust in God and they can't fully give their lives over to Him because they keep thinking of Him like their earthly father. But you need to just put that to the side and go, no, that's actually not who my heavenly father is. And I need to know who He is. I need to approach Him as actually who He is and not my image of who He is, but who the Word of God says He is and put my whole trust and my life into Him. He he is God. He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. So the second thing is, do you know the Father? This one is so, so important. Do you know the Father? You know, I don't know if you've noticed, um, I'm a little bit of a law nerd. I'm a politics nerd. So I follow a lot of these things, um, especially American politics and Australian politics and and, and the way that things are going. And um, what's really interesting to notice the change over the last couple of years is that it went from rationalising with politics to emoting with politics. It went from this is a rational, logical um, reasons as to why we're making this, even if we don't agree with it, but it was about giving the logic behind it, but now it's about giving the emotion behind it. It's about convincing people emotionally about what this issue is. And that's why we've seen this progression where people are at this stage where they literally cannot be friends with you if you are on the other side of the politics, if you are in disagreement with them, because it's become an emotional thing rather than a logical or rational thing. It's become a, if you disagree with me on this issue, it's because you hate me. It's because you want to offend me. It's because you want to hurt me. And that's what it's become. But that is a reflection of the world that we live in. That is a reflection of how things have gone these days is that we don't rationalise about things anymore. It's not logical. It's not thought field. It's about emotion field things. And we live by emotions. And that is a very dangerous place to be living in to be living by emotions, by living by feelings. You know, I hear so often from teenagers say to me, I don't think so-and-so likes me. I feel like they don't like me. I feel like they hate me. And I said, well, what gives you that idea? 
I don't know, I just feel like they do. Have you spoken to them about it? Have you asked them about it? Because I don't know about you, when I have a bad day or like I'm just really tired, I'm off with the fairies, I could be giving you a death stand, not even know. Like <laughs> you could just walk past and be like, oh my gosh, she hates me because I'm like, at you. <laughs> but it's got nothing to do with how I feel about you. It's everything to do with what's going on inside of my mind. But what happens is we have these feelings that I see so many teenagers and young people go, but I feel like they do. But I said, is that even the truth? Have you talked about it? Have you gone through that? And that's where the danger lies as we see broken relationships from living by feelings. I hear many young um, people say, I, fe- I don't feel God anymore. I don't feel God anymore. But what does Jesus say? In John 10 verse 15, Jesus says, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Did Jesus say, I feel the Father? Did Jesus say, I feel that the Father loves me. I feel the Father with me. I feel God. I don't think I ever read that in the Bible. Jesus saying, I feel. He kept saying, I know the Father. I know the Father. Feeling the presence of God is a beautiful experience, but that is not the anchor that we put our faith in. That is not the anchor of our faith. We don't live by what we feel or by what we see, but by what we believe. But what we believe to be true about God, what we know about God. Do you know God or do you just feel Him? Because if it's just about feeling God and feeling His presence, your faith will be weak. You will not last the distance. You will stumble and you will fall. It's not about feeling God. It's about knowing God, the Father. You know, my father is a really great father and he worked hard to provide for our family. But that meant at one stage in my life, my dad was working three jobs. He was working day shift. He was working night shift. He was working, I think he was saying at some point, there was like he was getting three hours sleep or even if that, um, you know, to work all these jobs to provide for our family. But the thing was, even though my dad wasn't present for some of that time, there was quite a a big period of time where my dad wasn't present because he had to work those jobs to keep us in school and to provide for us. We never doubted that our father loved us. And why is because mum always talked to us about it is, is, is dad loves you. And the reason why he's at work is because he's providing for you. Is so he can put you through the school. Is so he can put food on the table. Is that she'd always talk to us about that logical thing is that we could see dad is working because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't work three jobs and bust his butt, you know, to provide for our family. And that's the same with God is we can't just doubt God's love for us just because we don't feel him close. Just because our dad wasn't close in those moments didn't mean that he didn't love us. And we have to know that about God is what is God doing in your life? What is God working in your life? How do you know that God loves you? How do you know God is present in your life? Not just that you feel him, but that you know that he is there. God is our Father. He works to make us stronger and to build us up. And that's a problem that we're seeing in this generation is that we're seeing a fatherless generation. We're seeing a generation as well of fathers who may even not have had um, present fathers themselves that taught them to be fathers. And we're seeing a lot of man-childs growing up or it applies to women as well where we've got immature adults. We've got immature adults who, who even have little sooks and tantrums. I've seen them in some of my workplaces. I've got people twice my age who are literally having a fit And I'm like, this is how a three-year-old would act when they don't get their way. You are 50. You shouldn't be acting like this. 
But you go, this is what's happening is when we don't, um, father, uh, when we don't have fathers in our lives or when we don't allow our fathers to be in our lives and to correct us and, and, um, work with us. Our fathers are meant to make us strong. Our fathers are meant to test us and train us and, and teach our character. You know, when, I, when we fall down, I don't know about you, but with my father, when I fell down and hurt myself, if I wanted sympathy, if I wanted to be held and stroked on the head while I cried, I had to go to mum. <laughs> if if mum was not available, dad would be like, pick you up, he'd brush the dirt off and look at me like, you're all right, let's keep going. You know, that's what dads are like. With fathers, my dad let me jump off the roof. You know, mum standing back going, don't do that. My dad lets me jump off the roof and he catches me. When we went to, even just a couple of years ago, we went to Ireland and me and dad, we literally went right to the edge of this cliff with no barriers, no fences. I nearly slipped and fell to my death, but my dad caught me. But that's what fathers do. They let you do dangerous things. They test you. They push you. They push you really high on the swing. That makes your mom scream like, don't kill the children. You know, <laughs> They teach you to stand up to the bully. To t- they tell you to stop crying when you're being too dramatic. Um, they smack your butt when you're being naughty and make you apologize to your mother when you're being a turd. <laughs> that's what fathers are meant to do. When fathers are present in the home and fulfill the role, they have a huge job at building physical and emotional resilience in children, building and shaping our character and confidence. Now, I want you to know as well is if you don't have a father in your home or have a father present, it's okay because that's what's the beauty about church is that we have spiritual fathers. And Paul talks to Timothy about this. He says, you have many teachers, but you only have one spiritual father. And that's what we talk to our youth team as well about. You are spiritual mothers and fathers to these children that you look after. And that's why it's important to bring your, your um, kids and your teenagers and all that to church is they'll be surrounded by spiritual grandparents and spiritual mothers and fathers. So wherever there's a lack in their, um, their life, their biological family, you'll find it in the family of God. And so you don't have to feel like that's missing from your life because you can find that here. But that's what fathers are meant to do. And so I just encourage as well, especially for fathers in the house today, is be spiritual fathers too. Like be spiritual fathers, do these things um, for these people around your life. In Hebrews 5 verse 12 to 14, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, who, um, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So if you are not spiritually mature, I mean, if you're, if you're not allowing a father um, knowing God and just relying on emotions and you're spiritually immature, it says you're a spiritual baby. Spiritually mature Christians don't need to just feel God because they know the Word. They know the Word of God. They can walk in that. God is trying to build us up to be spiritually mature. He's training and testing our character always. He's, he's trying to raise us up to be strong, mature Christians who don't need to be spoon-fed, who don't need to be bottle-fed anymore, who don't need to be man-children and women-children, you know, where they're adults, but they're still acting like that. He wants to build you to be mature and strong, that you would know the Word of God. You would know who he is so you can last the tests and trials that he doesn't rely on your emotions or your feelings but it relies on your faith that he continues to build to make strong that he keeps pushing you out there 
He loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins so we could be adopted into His family and have the right to become children of God. But He did not come to molly to us, to wrap us up in cotton wool. He came to make us warriors. He came to make us spiritually mature sons and daughters. Spiritually mature. Sometimes we can't feel the Father's love because your dad, your father, feels, pre- um, feels like he's not present, feels like he's far, far away, but you can always see him present in your life when you look at the cross and see that he's always working, that he will always provide for you. The third thing is, do you obey the Father? Obedience to the Father is the model of Jesus' life. Obedience to the Father is the model of Jesus' life. In Luke 22, verse 42 to 44, it says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. If God was all about the good feels, the good times, the rainbows and sunshine, he would never have sent his son to die. He's in such agony here. He sweats drops of blood. If that's what he was about, like, oh, we don't want you to ever feel anything bad. If we don't want you to ever experience anything bad, he would never have sent Jesus. Because Jesus, his one and only son, went through the worst of the worst for us. Because God knew it had to be done because he loved us so much. But what I also noticed in this moment is that God the Father did not leave Jesus. When Jesus said, not your will, not my will, sorry, but your will be done. It said that an angel appeared to him to strengthen him. So God still did not leave him in that moment. When he chose to obey, when he chose to take the hard path, God provided that angel to strengthen him as he went forward. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, my poor son. Look, it's too hard. It's too painful. Let's take you out of this. No, he said, I'll send you the angel to strengthen you so that you are ready for this task ahead because you have chosen to obey. Fathers teach us to do the right thing even when it's hard. I remember that's something that dad always taught us was about how to stand up to bullies. We literally used to have like combat class after school and uh, dad would teach us how to beat them up. Um, (laughs) He taught us how to stand up to peer pressure, how to stand for Jesus and cling to him when times get tough. Dad taught us the Bible. I remember being picked on by bullies at school and I was a really, really tiny human I was very short, very small. I had little glasses on and I was very quiet at school. Would you believe? I was one of of the quietest kids in my school and I would sit in the corner and just play puzzles when everyone else was out in the playground. I was so quiet. So the bullies would come and pick on me because I was four eyes. And even though I was afraid of them because I often had several bullies, several boys would come on to beat me up, I knew that I could face them because my dad had prepared me. So I gave him a knuckle sandwich. (laughs) My dad made me strong. So when I stood up to the bully, dad didn't say run from the bully, but he said face the bully. And when I was able to face the bully, they never picked on me again because they were scared of me. (laughs) I remember going to parties when they wanted to watch movies and TV shows. Um, As a teenager, they had dark themes or sexual themes in them. And I would go, I don't want to watch this because my parents said, this is not good for me and I want to be obedient to what they've taught me. So what my parents taught me as well was how to resist 
peer pressure, how to resist temptation, all those things. And I remember one party, I sat outside of the party for four hours on my own because, <laughs> because my friends wanted to watch this show and they wouldn't change even though I said, no, I'm not going to watch this. This is junk. Let's watch something else. And, and they refused to. So I had to sit outside for four hours because I didn't want to ask to call my parents because that was back before we had our own mobile phones and stuff. So I was like... Well, I'll just sit him, place all the Um <laughs> But I remember that having the strength to be able to do that, stand up against a whole party of people because that's what my dad had instilled in me. I'd be able to remove myself. And I also knew I could call my father. He said, any time that you feel like you're in trouble, you need to leave, you call me and I'll come get you. So I knew I had that security. I knew who my father was, even if he wasn't present, that he would always be there for me. Obedience to our father is hard but obedience brings great fruit and great reward. In Psalms 127 verse 4 to 5, it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. I think of this scripture because it's talking about fathers, you know, having many children is like having arrows in the hand of a warrior. And you're like happy if you have a quiver full of arrows ready to fight. But I think this is literally like what it's like for God too, is that he wants, he wants arrows. He wants arrows in the quiver. He wants to have arrows in the hands of a warrior. He wants to use you to fight the battle with him. If you are, you are a weapon in the hand of God and to make you a useful weapon, you have to be sharpened. He has to prepare you. And sometimes that means obedience in the face of opposition. You will never be stronger if you don't face opposition. If you continue to run from it, if you continue to run from trials, to hide from trials, to complain about trials, say, oh, God's left me, woe is me because I can't feel him. You will never be ready for the battle. You will never be strengthened. You will never grow in your faith. You will remain spiritually immature. But fathers, our Father God wants to make us into a warrior ready for the battle. I think of this incredible story. Um, as I am a, a Lord and politics nerd, I'm also a history nerd. I love reading about World War One and World War Two. I just find all the stories just fascinating, just the courage and bravery of soldiers and the things that they did. And one of my favourite stories is a guy called Desmond Doss. Many of you may have heard of him. It's from a famous movie called Hacksaw Ridge. If you haven't seen it, it is one of the most incredible war films you have ever seen. You must go watch it. Um, it is so good. But Hacksaw Ridge... There was a guy called Desmond Doss and he was Seventh-day Adventist and he felt called by God that he needed to sign up to the army. So he volunteered. Um, he was an American man. He volunteered and he's, but he knew that, that um, thou shalt not kill. That was his number one thing is God has not called me to kill lives. He's called me to save lives and I'm going to go into the army because I'm going to go save lives. And he wanted to be a medic. And so he refused to carry a gun to defend himself against all logic, all instruction, all ridicule and disbelief. They literally tried to get him barred from the army because he refused to carry a gun. He got paid out by all his fellow soldiers. There was even a soldier that said to him um, that he would try, basically he's hoping that he didn't come back from the war alive because he was stupid enough not to carry a gun. But Desmond didn't let this dissuade him. He knew what God had called him to do. So he went out into the middle of battle and you think that would be scary enough as it is. Like that is the most, like 
I just can't even imagine just seeing those movies. Like I even read my great-grandfather's war diary and just watching the progression of his hope and just fear and anxiety and all this stuff like deteriorate over time. And you're just like, wow, how could you do this? And this is with a person holding a weapon. And this man is going into these battles without a weapon. But it's because he had his hope and trust in God. He was obedient to the call of God in his life. I'll just read you this little um, excerpt. It says, in May 1945, as German troops were surrendering on the other side of the world, Japanese troops were fiercely defending to their last man, the only remaining barrier um, to an allied invasion of their homeland. The men in Desmond's division were repeatedly trying to capture I don't know how to say that probably, the Maida Escarpment, an imposing rock face the soldiers called Hacksaw Ridge. After the company had secured the top of the cliff, the Americans were stunned when suddenly enemy forces rushed them in vicious counterattack. Officers ordered an immediate retreat. Soldiers climbed to, um, rushed to climb back down the steep cliff, all the soldiers except one. Less than one third of the men made it back down. The rest lay wounded, scattered across enemy soil, abandoned and left for dead if they weren't already dead. One lone soldier disobeyed orders and charged back into the firefight to rescue as many of his men as he could before he either collapsed or died trying. His iron determination and unflagging courage resulted in at least 75 lives saved that day, May 5th, 1945, his Sabbath. Desmond Doss, and if you watch the movie, it's like the most like you are on the edge of your seat watching this man run through enemy territory. The Japanese soldiers are trying to find all the people that are lying on the floor wounded but still alive and stabbing them, trying to make sure they're all dead. And there's Desmond running across the field, completely unarmed, rescuing every soldier he can, grabbing them, dragging them across the field. And he actually has to lower them down this giant cliff called um, with the Hacksaw Ridge. So it's just incredible story, but he doesn't stop. And, and I just remember seeing um, this line that he says, and I don't know if he said it in real life, but he says it in the movie is, please, Lord, just one more. And he keeps going back, please, Lord, just one more. And you can just tell is this man is able to face this, is able to face, has this incredible courage and bravery in the midst of this because his reliance is not on a weapon, is not on a gun, is not in his own abilities, but it's in his God, in the Lord. He carries that Bible with him and he marches out there going, this is my obedience to God. This is what he's called me to do. And so he does. And uh, I found a little bit extra information about him. So he ended up getting wounded later on in the, in the war and he ended up having something with his leg and his arm got completely shattered. And so they needed to, he was losing blood and he could die. So they had to um, get him away. And there was another guy though that uh, needed to be taken on a stretcher as well. And he gave up his spot on the stretcher, even though it meant he could die. So he could see another man's life be saved as well. And I thought, wow, he's, he survived, which was incredible, but... I thought, wow, isn't that incredible? You know, someone who is fully just obedient to God, their full trust is in Him. And I think, wow, isn't that what God wants for us? He wants us to be sharp and He wants us to face trials. He wants us to go up against these things, but it's in our obedience that we know that that God is going to be with us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to um, see incredible things come out of that. 75 lives saved. They would have been dead if it was not for Him. They would have been dead and or died a very long and excruciating death on that battlefield if it wasn't for Desmond and his obedience to God. He was a weapon in the hand of God used to save many lives. We need to change the way that we see God, our Father. His ways are higher than our ways. 
Our Father has to allow us to go through trials, through seasons of highs and lows, because He wants to strengthen you to make you an arrow for the quiver. He says to Jesus, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased after he, when he's baptised. And straight after that, he leads him by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to fast. And then he's tempted by the devil. Where's the love in that? Where's the love in that? Where's the love that we think all the warm feels, you know, and happy times? What kind of father does that? I'm pleased with you. Now I'm going to send you into the desert, suffer 40 days, and then be tempted by the devil, and then you're ready for your ministry. (laughs) No, it's because he prepared Jesus for the ministry he was about to face. He strengthened his spirit because Jesus in the desert could only rely on God the Father. He couldn't rely on food. Remember, he was fully man and fully God. So he needed food for his body just like we do. And he relied on God. God puts us through tests and through trials because obedience produces great fruit. Obedience strengthens us. He wants warrior children. He doesn't want weak children. He doesn't want spiritual babies. He wants spiritual warriors. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, because he is so far above what we can comprehend or understand. The year 2020 to 2021 has been years, uh, two years of trials. I mean, we've had it pretty alright here in South Australia, but it's still been a tough time, I think, for many people, and especially hearing about your friends and family in other states and what they've been through. But this is a season where many people have grown complacent or said, I don't feel God or I'm struggling, so God mustn't be there. Where is God in this situation? But we need to realise that God is not like our Father. He is far beyond our comprehension and understanding. He's not like our earthly father. He doesn't do things the way that we want him to do it. He doesn't think like we think. He doesn't see like we see. Remember, he sees the beginning and the end. He's outside of time and space. He is so different from our earthly father. And so we need to start thinking differently about that. So my first question for you today is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord? Remember what I said at the beginning is you can't have a relationship with the Father. You are not a child of God until you receive Jesus because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So without Jesus, there's no way to God, the Father. But if you receive Him, if you receive Jesus, you receive God. You have that restored relationship with Him. So I just wanna ask that question here today. Actually, I'll just get everyone just to close your eyes just to give a bit of privacy to those around you. But that's my first question to you is, have you received Jesus Christ, your Lord? If that's, if that's you today who's like, hey, I haven't. I thought I was a child of God just as a birthright from being born or someone told it to me as a kid or maybe you're baptised as an infant and you're like, yep, yeah, I'm a child of God. No, that's not how it works. It says that we must receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. It's not a decision someone else can make for you. It's a decision you must make for yourself. It's not a rite of passage. It's not a family hereditary thing you can inherit. It's a decision you have to make. You must receive Jesus Christ. Declare Him as your Lord and Saviour. So if that's you today and you haven't done that, or maybe you've done that before or thought you've done it, and you're like, hey, I want to I wanna make sure that I have that relationship with God, that I am a child of God. I'm adopted into His family. If that's you today, I just ask, encourage you just to lift your hand with every eye closed and every head bowed, and I'd love to pray with you.
awesome. So good. You can open your eyes. So my second question is to you. With no hands going up, we must assume (laughs) that you're like, yep, I've got a relationship with Jesus. So my second question is, now we don't always assume, but (laughs) our second question is, do you know God or are you just relying on a feeling? Ask yourself that. Are you living by faith or are you living by feelings? Do you know who God is to you? Do you know who God is, the God of the Bible? Or do you just know a feeling or what other people have told you? Is your faith dwindling when you don't feel God or is it growing when you don't feel Him? So I encourage you just to think on that. And the third question is, are you being obedient? Are you being obedient? Are you saying yes to what God asks you to do when it's difficult, when it's inconvenient, when it's hard, when it means going the opposite way of the crowd, when it means it will cost you something? Are you letting Him build and shape your character in these things? There's so many great people in the Bible that if you read about in the Bible, even in recent times, like people like Desmond Doss and many of our founding church fathers who sacrifice a lot to be obedient to God. And God's calling us to that. If you don't live a life of sacrifice, are you really living a life for Jesus? If it's not costing you anything, are you really living a life for Jesus? Are you really obedient to Him? It's a good question to ask. I just want to pray over you all today. But if that was you, that one of those questions is... um, is nagging you a little bit. You're like, oh, that, w- that was rough. Um, <laughs> that speaks to me. Yeah, that's me. I, I haven't, I really encourage you to talk to a friend on your table or go talk to your connect leader. Um, it's connect this week, isn't it? Yeah, connect this week. A great opportunity to talk about that because you need to get some encouragement around that. You need to get some advice around that. You need to get some prayer around those situations if that's you because you don't want to be a baby Christian. You don't want to be a baby Christian who can't stand on their own two feet, who can't feed themselves, who, who you know, doesn't, isn't a uh, strong weapon at the hand of God because when the fight comes, you're going to be defenseless. But when you allow God to make you strong when the fight comes, because it will, it's coming, you'll be ready to stand. So I just want to pray for everyone. Just as we close. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just thank you for every single person right here today. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. We thank you that you love us so much, but you love us so much to not let us stay where we are. You love us so much that you continually transform our hearts, transform our thinking, transform the way we act, the way we live. God, we thank you that you challenge us, that you push us outside of our comfort zone. God, that you are working continually in our life, even when we cannot see. But God, that we know because we know what your word says we know who you are and so we just pray Lord today that you just give a revelation in the hearts of your church for those who felt far away to God that they would just know they would have a new knowledge of who you are God that you have not left them that you have not abandoned them that you are close to them that you would restore faith to the faithless God that you would restore hope to the hopeless and God that you would restore obedience to those of us Lord who have been stubborn who have been in scared, who've been afraid, who've been anxious, who've been worried, who've been hesitant to follow after You. God, we just ask today that You would restore obedient hearts. Turn us back to You, turn our eyes to You, turn our hearts to You, Lord. We surrender to You this morning, Lord, that You would come and have Your way in our life. Thank You, Jesus, in Your mighty Name. And everybody said, 
Amen. Amen.